of Advent, we think of Jesus coming to this earth, and certainly that is the message today. We want to narrow the focus a little bit and look at what happens when Jesus comes to town. We see that in Mark chapter 2, where Jesus came to the city of Capernaum, and the difference that he made in that place. Mark chapter 2, beginning with the first verse. When he had come back to Capernaum several days afterward, it was heard that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no longer room, not even near the door, and he was speaking the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, And when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, Why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and pick up your pallet and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. And he got up and immediately picked up the pallet and went out in the sight of everyone, so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Let's pray. Father, these are words that you have given to us by the inspiration of your Spirit. And we pray, Lord, that you would give us understanding why Jesus came and the difference he makes in the lives of individuals, in the lives of communities, in the lives of countries, in the lives of those in the entire world. Lord, guide us, we pray, into your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever thought about the difference that one person can make? I had the privilege of playing baseball with a man, a young man on my baseball team in high school. He was a senior when I was a freshman. Randy Hawkinson was his name, and he was a left-handed pitcher. And when he came into the game, he made a difference. And one particular time that I will never forget, he came into the game with the bases loaded, nobody out, a 3-2 count on the batter. First thing he did was pick off the guy on first base. The next thing he did was pick off the guy on second base. And the third thing he did was throw a strike three. (laughs) What a difference that one pitcher made in that game. And that wasn't the only time. There were many other times as well. When he came into the game, you knew something good was going to happen for us. When Jesus came to the town of Capernaum, things happened. 
And I would suggest to you that there are four significant things. First of all, when Jesus came to town, he attracted great crowds. Almost everywhere Jesus went in his ministry, crowds of people followed him. And our text is one example of that. When he came to Capernaum, verse 1 says, It was heard that he was at home, and many were gathered together so that there was no longer room, not even near the door. The crowd was so huge, and this may have been Peter's house, at least some would suggest that. This house was absolutely packed. And there's a reason for that. If you go back to Mark chapter 1, you will notice that the crowds were coming everywhere Jesus went because of all the miracles that Jesus had done. And Mark has a way of tracing through uh, Jesus' ministry and in very dramatic ways and just describing the crowds that were coming. And if you read chapter 1, you'll see many references to the huge crowds that followed him. And if Jesus' purpose was simply to attract a crowd, then the best thing he could have done is to continue to go everywhere and have healing services. After all, that's what the people wanted. But notice what Jesus did. Mark tells us in verse 4 that the reason why he was in that house is because he was speaking the word to them. In fact, if you look back in chapter 1, when the disciples came to Jesus and said in verse 37, everyone's looking for you, he said to them, let's go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also because that's what I've come for. He came to proclaim the good news of Jesus. He proclaimed the gospel to people because that's what the people needed the most. Far more important than healing for the body was healing for the soul, and Jesus never lost sight of that fact. Whenever the crowds came to see a miracle, Jesus saw it as an opportunity to preach the gospel of Christ. Maybe the modern-day church can learn a lesson from Jesus' ministry. It seems like the modern-day church today, at least in our culture, is asking the question, what do they want? What do we have to do to get people in the door? We've got to give them what they want. And maybe a better question to ask is, what do they need? What do they need? They need Jesus. They need salvation. They need forgiveness. And Jesus never lost sight of that fact. When the crowds came, oh yes, he healed some. Certainly he did. But his purpose was to save souls, to forgive sins. And he never lost sight of that fact. When Jesus came to town, he attracted great crowds. Secondly, when Jesus came to town, he inspired great faith. While Jesus was preaching the word to the crowd in Capernaum that day, something very strange happened. And can you imagine this? Here here you are, those of you who preach some, you're, you're giving the word, and all of a sudden you hear something up in the ceiling. And you look up, and there's a hole being made in the ceiling, big enough to, to drop down a pallet with a man on it, Right in the middle of your sermon. Now, that's not in the order of service, is it? That would kind of disrupt the service. Here he is, Jesus preaching, and this man is lowered down by ropes right in the middle of the sermon. What would you do if that happened here? Wouldn't that be amazing? 
This building was so full they had to let people in through the roof. So here comes this guy being let down right through the roof. (laughs) And it didn't seem to bother Jesus because he just said in verse 5, he said, Son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. There's two things that strike me about the faith of these men. First of all, they were willing to sacrifice to bring the paralyzed man to Jesus. Not only did they have to literally carry him from his house to the house where Jesus was, but when they got there, they had to dig a hole in the roof to get him to Jesus. And I would assume they probably had to fix the hole. They were done, too. Can you imagine the one that owned the home? Look what you've done. Fix this. Get this taken care of. And so, whatever it took, they were willing to do for their friend. And the second thing that strikes me about the faith of these men is that they were confident that Jesus was able to meet such a great need. They had seen Jesus do some great things in their city before, and they believed that he could and he would do great things again. It didn't matter what the need was. They knew that Jesus was able to meet that need, and they expected that he would do it. (laughs) They expected that he would do it. F.B. Meyer told of, of having a dog that he used to feed at the table until his wife put an end to that. That's probably familiar in your house, too, maybe. But the dog seemed to know who was the cause of those meals being turned away and where he needed to go to get one. So when mom wasn't looking, he would sneak under the table and he would put his nose on F.B. Meyer's knee. And while mom wasn't looking, he'd grab something off the plate and shove it under the table and, and feed the dog. The expectant faith of that dog was something that F.B. Meyer could not disappoint. (laughs) He just had to feed that dog. I mean, there he was, trusting, putting his nose right on F.B. Meyer's knee, trusting that there was going to be a provision for him. And sure enough, he wasn't disappointed. Proper moment, he would sneak a hunk of meat to the dog. Well, these four that brought this man, they believed that Jesus would meet their need. They came to the right place. Trusting the right one. And Jesus didn't disappoint, did he? The third thing that happened when Jesus came to town is that he incited great anger. In contrast to the men who expressed great faith in Jesus, there was a group of men there who expressed great anger toward Jesus. Not everyone was happy with his ministry in Capernaum, especially, not surprisingly, the religious leaders. Verse 6 says, But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, in one sense, what they were thinking was right. It's true that only God can forgive sins. But what they failed to acknowledge is that Jesus is true God. He is God in the flesh. And in response to their accusations, Jesus offers proof, evidence, 
that he is indeed God in the flesh. For one thing, he proved he is God by revealing the thoughts of men. He told the religious leaders exactly what they were thinking. Verse 8 says, Immediately Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, Why are you reasoning, reasoning about these things in your hearts? No man can see into the heart of men but God. And Jesus proved that he is God by revealing their thoughts. Aren't you glad that I don't know what you're thinking right now? Because some of you may not be thinking about the sermon. Some of your minds may be elsewhere. Maybe about the football game, or maybe about the concert, or what you did yesterday. And I'm kind of glad I can't see what you're thinking either. But Jesus did. And can you imagine these guys sitting there, thinking within themselves, you know, why, who is this guy think he is? He's blaspheming, and Jesus tells them exactly what they're thinking. No mere man does that, but the Son of God did. So he proved he is God by revealing the thoughts of man. And then Jesus proved that he is God by healing the paralyzed man. You see, the religious leaders were probably thinking that it was easy for Jesus to say that the sins of the paralyzed man were forgiven because no one could disprove such a statement. How do you disprove that? So Jesus gave them another proof of his deity by telling the paralyzed man to get up and walk. Verse 9, Jesus said, which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and pick up your pallet and walk, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He says then to the paralytic, I say to you, get up. Pick up your pallet and go home. And he got up and immediately picked up the pallet and went out in the sight of everyone. Now that no mere man can do, right? That's, that's God's work. And so he proved to these who would reject his deity that he indeed is the Son of God. But they rejected such a claim. And as Jesus continued to give evidence that he indeed is the Son of God with all the miracles that he performed, they continued to reject him until finally they wanted to kill him. And we find that very early here in Mark, in chapter 3, verse 6. It says, The Pharisees went out and immediately began conspiring with the Herodians against him as to how they might destroy him. And that's why they handed him over to Pilate, eventually. Matthew 27, verse 18 says, Pilate knew why. It was out of envy. They hated him. So when Jesus came to town, he incited great anger. But then finally, when Jesus came to town... And this is clearly the theme of this text. He he produced great change. Wherever Jesus went in his earthly ministry, in one way or another, people were changed. 
Some were changed for the worse because they would not receive the message. They rejected the truth. Their hearts were hardened. And they wanted to get rid of Jesus. But there were others who met Jesus whose lives were changed in a wonderful way. And they would never be the same again. The most obvious change that Jesus brought here was the paralyzed man. He was given the ability to walk. And he gets up with his pallet and in the sight of everyone. They were amazed. Verse 12 says they were glorifying God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. We have never seen anything like this. This man being let down through the roof, and Jesus tells him to get up and walk, and he gets up and walks. He's paralyzed. How could he do that? What do we see here? We see a wonderful example of the power of Jesus' word, don't we? Think of it. This guy was paralyzed, and Jesus tells him, get up and walk. What would you have done? He said, well, how am I supposed to walk? I'm paralyzed. But with the command to get up and walk, there was power in the word of Jesus to enable him to get up and walk, right? Why do we say that the word of God is the primary means of grace? Because God's word is powerful. And what Jesus commanded this man to do, we could call this a gospel imperative. What he commanded the man to do, in that command, there was the power of the Word of God to do what Jesus commanded him to do. For example, we see words in Scripture like that we are called to believe, commanded to believe. What do we say? I can't by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus nor come to him. But the Holy Spirit calls me through the gospel. So here, Jesus was telling this man to get up and walk, but there was the power in his word to enable that man to get up and walk. Now that's probably the most obvious change that was seen that day. This guy gets up and walks. But the greatest change that took place here is that this man was forgiven. Jesus said, Son, your sins are forgiven. The healing of the paralyzed man was only temporary because one day he died. But the forgiveness that he was given lasted for eternity. That was an eternal change. To be forgiven of his sins. To have a right relationship with God. And that's what the man needed the most, wasn't it? That's what he needed the most. Warren Wiersbe says, Forgiveness is the greatest miracle that Jesus ever performs. It meets the greatest need. It costs the greatest price. And it brings the greatest blessing. Isn't that good? Some of you didn't get that. I'm going to say that again. Forgiveness is the greatest miracle. It meets the greatest need. It costs the greatest price. And it brings the greatest blessing. That's what that man needed that day. And that's exactly what you and I need today. Our greatest need is forgiveness. Because all have sinned and, 
and fallen short of the glory of God. Because the wages of our sin is death. That's why forgiveness is our greatest need today. And that's why Jesus came. That's why He came into Capernaum. Not just to heal, but to forgive and to cleanse. And to restore relationships that were not right with a holy God. My dad came into the hospital one time in Duluth. And out of the room walked the psychiatrist that was visiting the same patient that my dad was coming to see. And my dad knew him from before, and so he asked him, are you coming to see so-and-so? He said, yes. And he said to my dad, he doesn't need a psychiatrist. He needs a Savior. And so my dad went in there and shared the good news of, of Jesus. And that man met the Savior. He met Jesus. That was his greatest need. I'm not saying we never need doctors or psychiatrists, but our greatest need is Jesus. And it's amazing when we meet Jesus how our life changes. If anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creature, right? Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. Has Jesus made his way into your life? Do you know that your sins are forgiven? Do you have a right relationship with God because of what Christ has done? His finished work on the cross on your behalf. That's your greatest need. Your greatest need is Jesus. And I invite you to come to Jesus today. Receive that gift of eternal life. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the great gift. The gift of eternal life. The gift of salvation. The gift of the forgiveness of sins. The gift of knowing that you paid the price for us on the cross. The blood that you shed for us cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And so, Lord, as we come to your table this morning now, we rejoice in what you did for us. The blood that you shed is for the forgiveness of our sins. The body that you that was broken was for us. Lord, thank you for that gift. And I pray that by faith today we would embrace that good news. The good news of salvation through faith in Jesus. We pray these things in His precious name. Amen. Before we come to the Lord's table, we'll sing hymn number 31, Thou didst leave thy throne. Number 31.